I know, I know, season two is over, but what is not over is creativity. And also, this really special code, 20% off right this second at NathanMorrisMusic.com. Click any item and at checkout, type in NMM20. That is N as in Nathan, M as in Morris, M as in Music 20 for 20% off any shirt you purchase at NathanMorrisMusic.com, the official merch store. There is good stuff happening. You hold tight. I assure you to continue to meet you where you are and please meet me where I am on all the socials, like buying you something and then taking a picture of it and tagging me on Insta at Nathan Morris or saying something to me at Nathan Morris Music on TikTok and all the other fun places. January 20th, a new single releases, a new record in the works, soon to have a release date for that too. And then hold tight because season three is just around the river bend. You're loved far more than you could ever know. Thank you for all that you bring to this life because you are worthy. Head over to the store right now and grab you some swag. Code NMM20. Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. Quick announcement. Yes, I'm saying it again. Season two is coming to a close pretty soon, but fear not. Because in two weeks, there's tons of previous episodes you can dial into. There's tons of music on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever it is you get your podcasts or music content. NathanMorrisMusic.com has all kinds of swag. Just buy merch all the time while, you know, we celebrate the holidays. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, bring back a resolution. Anyway. The end is upon us, but the dawn will be a-coming. Oh, hey, it's you, it's me, it's YDT, it is. And yes, we are coming to a close, but not for long. Not for long. I just want to acknowledge, we do it all the time, but... Our friends at Big Turkey Foot Coffee, all the ladies and gents who are working tirelessly because they're passionate. They're passionate about coffee and they're passionate about their tastes and their favorites and getting coffee to coffee lovers. Again, Big Turkey Foot Coffee have been incredible, incredible sponsors, partners of You'll Die Trying. Thank you to our friends at Big Turkey Foot. And also, thanks to you, because time, there's literally only so much of it. It is an unreplenishable resource. And you take your time and you allot a portion of it to meet me here. Right here, where we are in our most vulnerable or our most excited or our most sad, longing 
lonely of spaces. And I'm forever grateful for you and for that. And I challenge you to realize that you are worthy to be met as well. And that is why I do this, is to meet you here. My commitment to this is to you. And I hope you see that. This is Season 2, Episode 159 of You'll Die Trying. It is a show which pulls back the curtain and takes down the walls brick by brick and exposes the true hearts of those who are caring for those you love most. And I don't know how we could pull back the curtain any more than this episode. Just wait. You've heard me tell stories on TikTok at Nathan Morris Music. You've heard me allude to things. It's not always grandmother under the care of hospice, peacefully dying, having, experiencing a holy death with their family surrounding them, their family holding their hands, clean sheets, fresh glass of ice water by the bedside, comfortable temperatures inside the room. It's not always like that. And because of that, there are companies that must, that must step up and go in, into places, into spaces where, like the video on TikTok where I talk about the individual who had no one, who was deceased, who had been gone for over two weeks before even having their existence recognized. And you can follow me at Nathan Morris Music and dig through and find that. The Forgotten One is what it's called. But I did a podcast about that. But this could be a part two of that podcast because I had the opportunity to speak to Laura and the folks at Spalding. And if you have not heard about them, she is a pioneer. She has taken this world and realm of, well, death or destruction of property because of tragedy, whether it's a hoarder or whether it is a condemned place property or a forgotten one. You know, we suit up and we stand tall and when people are throwing up their phones to record us because we go in in hazmat gear because yes, we've, we've had to do that in an apartment complex, specifically speaking, Jeff, my brother-in-law, and myself. But these individuals have devoted themselves to making that space that is currently tragic, sad, overwhelming in more ways than one, and turning it back into a space that's tolerable. I really enjoyed this time. I really enjoyed the questions You can, you can hear for yourself. Hi, 
am Laura Spaulding, CEO of Spaulding Decon, and I have here with me uh, Steve Wolf, our general manager of the Tampa location, and we are honored to have a special guest today. We've got Nathan Morris with Morris Family's Funeral Services. He's both a funeral director and a mortician. And I know you guys have a ton of questions, as do we, and we want to dive in there and uh, ask everything that you guys want to know. So thank you so much for being with us, Nathan. Thank you very much, both of you, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So I am excited to talk to you because everyone has a ton of questions about the funeral process, what happens to you when you die? You know, we get a lot of those questions. So can you kind of give us a little bit of a background on how you got started in the funeral business? I was a touring musician. I came home for my birthday and it was on uh, April 3rd of 2010. I go to a bar. I see this really hot brunette and I literally pointed and I said, come here, We'll get to to that. And she said what she she said what she did. And I was thinking that's impossible because every funeral director that I've seen is old yeah. and male and not this pretty girl. And literally we became best friends. I went to her dad's office like a week or two later, sat in his office, sitting there smoking his pipe. I live in Kentucky, has the suspenders on. He's watching reruns of Westerns. And I said, I want a job. And he said, son, you are out of your damn mind because you don't get hired into the profession. You're born into it. Right. And you die. You don't retire. So I said, I'm not leaving your office until you give me an opportunity. I'll be the best employee you've ever had. And that was almost 11 years ago, four babies later, 10 locations later. That's how I started into this. Went from musician to mortician. And here we are. Wow. So let, let, let's break this down a little bit. So when you were asking him for a job, did you know what kind of job you wanted or what you, why you wanted to be in the funeral industry to begin with, or was it just to get the girl? The, the intention probably very deep down was to get the girl. <laughs> I think uh, my first experience was when I was uh, 10 years old with death. And then my grandfather died when I was 13. And I remember following this guy around in a suit. Everyone in my family was looking to him for guidance. He'd stand in the corner, he'd put flowers out, and I would follow this man around the entire funeral home. And then I got to the door, the door. And I said, what's behind that door? And he was like, you can't go behind this door. And that's where, of course, the deceased loved ones were in the care center. And I was just intrigued by that. And I think that that moment for me is something that I was always um, impressed by, inspired by, and it was kind of taboo for a long time. Obviously, in your all's line of care too, it might be a little bit like you guys are weird to right. love doing that. So it was kind of a suppressed th- thing, really. Uh, but I, I think that the pretty girl helped bring that back to surface. I had no idea what the heck I was getting into, honestly. I had no idea. But four so, hours later, when he gave me the job, I, I realized pretty quickly. So what, what was the first job at the funeral home? I started helping go on death calls. Okay, so you were doing the removals. Yes. That is where everyone starts, isn't it? <laughs> it is literally the baptized, you're baptized by fire. It, it never is the first death call when we tell any one of our new team members, you're going to be baptized by fire. It's never the little sweet little lady at the hospice house. Right. It is always a hoarder. It's always something very traumatic or right. uh, overwhelming in the sense of, you know, uh, situation circumstance and you walk out of there and you're like oh my gosh yeah it happens every time can you tell our viewers 
what is the difference between when a funeral home does the removals versus the coroner? A lot of people don't know the difference and why that happens. A funeral director is going to come to a residence, a place of death, if a coroner call. A coroner call happens if someone is not under the care of a physician. And let's say I dropped dead right here during this podcast and during this show, you're like, oh my gosh, the coroner would come in and being my age, they would probably want to have an autopsy. So then therefore the coroner's office would then transfer my body to the medical examiner for an autopsy. If it's an older lady and the coroner comes and obviously natural causes because an 89 year old loved one dying is not uncommon. That's when a funeral home would then receive the loved one and take them from that place of death. So if the manner of death is questionable, if the manner of death is a little off the age, that would then allow for the coroner to transfer for an autopsy of sorts. Okay. So in other words, if there's any type of suspicion, they would err on the side of caution and the coroner would take the the person to do an autopsy. If it's kind of normal, elderly person looks pretty cut and dry, you guys would do the pickup and then prepare the person for, for you know, uh, embalming and stuff like that, right? That's correct. And I was actually just learned recently one of our uh, team members is a coroner and they always, if you go to the site of uh, self-inflicted gunshot wound or something like that, they always assume it's murder first and they have to prove suicide, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, one of the questions that we often get is when you first arrive on a scene, what is, how does that impact you? What are you doing? What's going through your head? I look for where the coroner is. If the coroner is outside, I know that it's serious. So to paint everyone a picture, uh, again, an older loved one passes away after brushing their teeth, they're in the hallway, the coroner's not gonna really leave the residence. They're going to stick close and ask the questions to the family, gather medications. If it's traumatic, if there's self-infliction, if there's time between death and 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 finding the individual, obviously odors, that's the natural progression. Usually if people are outside by the street, by the road, then you know you're getting into something. You can never prepare for it. Uh, by respect, usually the coroners who call us, they're around family, so they're not gonna really say anything in particular that's happening. So you show up in your suit and you're ready to roll and you do a, a to your team member under your breath, you'll kind of say, well, this one's it. You know, this one's a unique one. Okay. We're never really privy to it. So as the owner of a funeral home, and I've seen this happen both ways, some funeral homes do their own removals and some choose to sub that out essentially to, to a company that that's all they do is removals. Is that just a business decision or is that based on, on the size of the funeral home or basically I don't want to be bothered in the middle of the night? Like, how do you guys assess that? We love controlling every experience. Experiences matter big time. And we have, we retrain and train and educate on how to do what we call a dignified and delicate transfer, because that is someone's loved one. It doesn't matter if there's decomposition involved. It doesn't matter if there's trauma involved. It doesn't matter if it's just natural. There is reverence about it. Words matter, actions matter, and uh, experiences are important to us. Not to say that a transfer team or company in bigger cities like Louisville, Kentucky, for instance, where you all actually just have uh, yes. started, which is awesome. Yeah. 
There are a lot of times where we are so busy, we do utilize the assistance of a transfer team. However, they know how we expect it, right? But if you want it done right, you do it yourself. And I think it's probably a business decision for a lot of these larger firms, especially with COVID inflated numbers out. I mean, it's insane. It really is. There are only so many funeral directors available. And so sometimes you have to, you do have to sub it out, but we hope that that experience is passed on. It's probably not uncommon then because, you know, the state of COVID that you guys want to do your own, but if you have an overload and your staff can't keep up with it, I'm assuming you probably have a contract with somebody else to help you if you need it. We do. We have Kentucky just uh, announced it's a new law that you can have a transport license. Kentucky is a state that you are required to be a licensed funeral director to transfer, to sign a loved one out. There's a provisional that is with the coroner. It's a piece of paper. It travels with a loved one. If you're released from facility A, we receive that loved one. We sign that we receive them until we have them either cremated or buried at the cemetery. That piece of paper would then travel to the health department or the cemetery. So it's a provisional, right? Well, now Kentucky says, hey, you can go to uh, classes. You can take specific tests and be trained and you have a transport license, which is super helpful to us. We don't have contracts per se because we have such a large team and all of our service areas, they overlap. So our on-call staff, for instance, in Davis County, Kentucky can assist the on-call staff in Grayson County, Kentucky, and they just overlap and assist each other. It's literally just like a game of leapfrog. Okay. So just to make sure that our listeners understand correctly, you have to have a separate license for transport a separate license as a funeral director, and do you have to have another one for mortician embalming? Kentucky has two licenses. Kentucky funeral director, embalmer, okay. two licenses. Transport is not a required license to have uh-huh. if you're a funeral director. Okay. Transport is is a thank God to funeral directors to be able to say, hey, we have Kelsey, we have Chris, we have others who have this transport license. You know, we're assisting all these families. We're taking families to the cemetery. Can you go and receive this loved one? Okay. It's been a godsend. Now, you guys operate in both Kentucky and Indiana. Is that a whole separate licensing in, in there as well? Wow, sounds like fun. Indiana is one. So Indiana, you cannot be a funeral director without being an embalmer. You have to be a funeral director embalmer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like having someone who loves to paint, like a Bob Ross, uh, but they're terrible with families. So right. Instead of them in their lane and where they love, it's like, hey, I know you're really terrible at this, but you have to be able to do both of these, which is, in my opinion, not good because, you know, you don't want somebody sitting with a family during delicate times and you just would much rather be in the, the care center and you're not even really good with talking to families. So that's my that's my point. So that's what I like about Kentucky is you can thrive, you know, you can thrive as a funeral director or you can stay in the care center and make people look ex- extremely lovely and beautiful and not have to worry about putting the details as far as arranging a funeral. Okay, so let's go back to where um, your future father-in-law decides to bring you in as uh, transport. How long did you do that for and did you start dipping your toe into other parts of the business simultaneously or did he, was he kind of feeling you out a little bit? Well, he's definitely feeling me out. And uh, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm balls to the wall. So yeah. I went on every death call for three years straight. Okay. <laughs> so, any, within reason, of course, if I, but I also become an apprentice. So I become an apprentice funeral director because I do like being with people. 
-hmm. I enjoy it. And his old adage was in the the old school, which is the 70s, 60, 70 year olds. And you're going to see that you see that nationwide. Now it's always been done this way. Change is terrible. Screw technology. Right. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You're too young. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. So I waited on all the families that I could too. So I was doing it all um, along with, with Megan. We had, yeah. she was the licensed, the only licensed embalmer on staff. Oh, wow. I'm an apprentice. I get thrown into this. So I'm doing the transfers with Megan. We're both waiting on all the families and we're both embalming, dressing, cosmetizing, and casketing all the bodies on opposite schedules. So we just... We learned very quickly, again, baptism by fire, all yeah. while realizing that this profession is antiquated and terrible. And I would go to him and I'd be like, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. And he'd be yeah. like, you don't know what you're talking about. I remember mm-hmm. all the time being like, get the hell out of my office, get out of my office. And uh, slowly but surely, I would just kind of chisel away and annoy him to the point where we'd be like, let's <laughs> try it. Well, yeah. what we were saying, let's try it, started to work. But uh, yeah, we ran, we ran and kept, caught ourselves coming and going nonstop. So what were some of the the things that were super antiquated that you guys were trying to modernize? Was it technology or was it just kind of uh, more relational and communication? Communication, website, websites were terrible. We weren't okay. embracing social media. Social media, you know, has started and, and you either were on the ship or you weren't. And we were not. We had no presence anywhere. We couldn't be found. The only way that we were found is by, of course, our name, at our one location, which was a hundred years old, but nonetheless, this transition happened where funeral homes rely heavily on tradition and what your family always did. My right. mom, all, my mom's family's always used Haley McGinnis, so we're going to use it. Well, people aren't loyal anymore, right? Like that, they are going to go where they had the best experience. They're going to go where they find the facility is the most beautiful. They're going to go where they actually like the people. Right. right. People process product. I learned that really quick from Marcus Limones and mm. our people were old and grumpy. Our facility was deteriorating in the sense internally. It just didn't look pretty anymore. And uh, our, we, we just put a funeral together. Anybody can right. anybody can sell a casket. Anybody can make somebody look nice in the casket and anybody can drive a hearse to the cemetery and put the loved one in the grave. But not Thank everyone you. can create that experience. Nathan, how'd you guys overcome kind of like the taboo portion of, you know, death is natural, but we don't really talk about it until it actually happens to us. And, but you getting your name out there and saying, Hey, we're here, but I'm going to let you know that before it actually comes and impacts you. Get them while they're young, have them for life. I started going to all the high schools and because I'm young, see, I learned that everyone can relate to youth because everyone has been young. Not everyone has been old. Right. So we had that going in our favor and I was so excited about that. So I'd go to all the high schools and I would talk about, I would talk about what the process consists of because people walking into a funeral home, it's scary. They don't like the way it smells. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to say. So we started educating, Hey, you know, when you're in that line and you have to sit there for 20, 30 minutes, you're like, I don't know what to say to this person. You don't have to say anything. All you have to literally say is I'm thinking of you. That's it. Don't say, I'm sorry for your loss. That's stupid. And it falls on deaf ears. And if you've said it, Don't beat yourself up about it, but being present is critical. So we're really just changing this narrative to these young people. They're going home and telling what their 40 and 50 year old mom and dads. Hey, Nathan from Haley McGinnis just came and he talked about how the funeral home doesn't have to be a scary place. It can actually be a safe place. We're right in the heart of downtown Owensboro where all the cool stuff happens. 
safe in the sense of what if they didn't feel comfortable at a downtown event? They can literally come here and see people and they're like, hey, I don't feel comfortable. I'm going to come here until uh, my mom and dad come and get me. Right. So so we're literally changing that when you drive by this funeral home, it's no longer, oh, that's where all the dead people are. Oh, that's where Nathan works. And then we started educating on pre-planning. Well, what's pre-planning? Well, you know, it's literally getting on paper your wishes long before the need arises. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a lot about education. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're both in a situation where we're dealing with death in different ways. And no one really wants to talk about death. So we're in a business that's difficult to market, I would say. You know, you can't do the traditional type things. But we, like you, just took an educational approach. Like people are extremely curious. What happens when you die? Um, how does decomposition, you know, act? What does it look like? What what causes maggots to come? You know, there's all these questions that we get, you know, and that just brings me back to, you know, your first time doing removals. You know, I'm sure you dealt with a lot of unattended deaths, a lot of suicides. Can you remember kind of your first uh, time where you were doing a removal and it was not, you know, a, a, a simple pickup, so to speak? So how did you feel? It was my first one, my first one ever. Actually, I had no idea. I went with Megan. We went to this old house on the, on the river. We were, we're a river town. Owensboro sits right on the on the border between Indiana and Kentucky, and it's this little shotgun house. The uh, the next of kin was a truck driver, hadn't seen his uh, loved one in years. A parent falling out, the coroner standing outside, smoking his long uh, black and mild cigarette. <laughs> and Megan was the first to tell me as we pulled up in our 2002 Dodge Grand Caravan. Yeah, she said this isn't a good sign, and I'm like. Awesome. We go in, hoarder, yeah, uh, filing cabinets and wheelchairs. I don't know. I'm not really sure what the you probably see that a lot where people yep. who are hoarders, they kind of really focus on a, an item or two that they really love. And uh, that is a unique uh, thing of its own. So uh, we walk in or attempt to, we're climbing in and over and through and the odor is happening. We hear a dog barking and I'm like, how in the heck can a oh, dog wow. live in this? Uh, we get into the room. I think it's the room and there are two officers accompanying us, the coroner and Megan and myself. And I look at Megan cause I've never done this before. And she says, just start throwing things only because the coroner said, we're bulldozing the house. That's how bad this, right. this uh, residence is. In the corner is the loved one who I would assume now knowing that was that died of a heart attack because a lot of people, if you are having a heart attack, what we do is we declothe because we're hot. Right. So uh, the they began to declothe and all around them are dog toys. So after they had died, the dog was trying to play with them. Right. Um, so we did finally get to the loved one and it was, it was, um, it was quite difficult. The, the time of death, uh, versus when we, when we received them was probably four to five days they ventured to say. So of course, natural things begin to happen. Um, and, uh, the dog, which you do hear about animals beginning to, they had not, they had not. Um, and what I'm referring to is of course, uh, I, I guess you'd say eating eat them right yeah. yeah yeah um so the dog was was fine the dog actually did receive a new home the family member was uh, cared for and uh the house was bulldozed 
Wow. Okay, so uh, th- what room of the house was this in? Of course, the very back corner of the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, it always happens to us that way. So, you know, one of the questions that we get is when there's, um, you know, like uh, parts left behind, so to speak, maybe after like a shotgun suicide or something, people, we, you know, we find bits of skull fragments, uh, teeth and things, and people always ask us, oh my God, why didn't that go with the body? And, you know, kind of our response is, you know, they're there to to pick up the person, not look for every little piece. It's not like it's going to be reconstructed. So can you talk a little bit about what happens to a person uh, that their family wants a, a burial, maybe even an open casket, when it's really not a good idea? I think it's uh, delicacy. I think it's uh, words. Words do matter. We went to uh, the scene of a young man who was in a vehicle accident so terrible in that the vehicle is skidding sideways. It hits a a pole that is cemented in the ground so far that it splits the car in half. The back half of the vehicle travels another 70 yards or so. So the, so that the, uh, or so the police who were reconstructing the scene stated and the front stayed at the pole, the loved one hit the pole. And of course, because of the trauma, there were many body parts, fragments that were then having to be collected. Well, Megan and I, again, are uh, on scene in the middle of the night, it's 23 degrees. And of course, what happens when time tra- when time happens and the, the temperature drops? So these pieces are freezing. Right. I'm in a suit. Megan is in a suit because we'll always be in a suit. Right. It's important. And we're there and we're collecting as much as we possibly can. Like you just said, you can't, we cannot get everything. Our job is to tend to the, the loved one, right? That's right. my job. Reverence, reverence, reverence. They wanted a, an open casket as you sit around a family's uh, table and you have to look the mother in the eye and say, because we legally cannot prevent them from seeing them. It's, it's uh, illegal. We give them our love and our encouragement to remember them how they were before this them. traumatic event. Right. And then so, you let them make the decision. Did they, do, they, do they ask to see the person to kind of finalize that decision? And then you have to allow that, right? We would have to allow that. We would have to also coordinate uh, a viewing experience that is as comfortable as possible. A mother one time wanted to touch her son's hands whenever they couldn't see them. I mean, they could have seen them. However, it was in their best interest not to. So we afforded that for her. So there are things that we do as as funeral homes, uh, whether it be with baseball caps or cowboy hats or things such as that, you can get creative and it's very reverent. It's very tasteful. We do the best we absolutely can. And that mother was afforded the opportunity to hold her son's hand before the casket was closed, before they received their friends. And that's that's what, what our job is. And there's a lot of times where we the answer is always, Yes, if it's legal and if it's ethical for us. So if if we have to, and we literally have to sometimes put pieces together, we will do it and we will work tirelessly to do that for them. So that brings me to kind of the next point. I've always viewed the kind of the mortician as an artist. You know, they're, they're having to reconstruct very difficult things sometimes. Can you kind of talk to us about 
the process of once the, the, the loved one comes into the funeral home, what's the preparation like in some of maybe the most difficult cases? That goes back to my joke about Bob Ross, right? Because in Indiana, wow. you can be incredible with families and a terrible artist, right? right? So why do you want a terrible artist in there drawing a picture? So yes, there's a ton of art that goes into this. So we do what's called a pre-embalming analysis, every loved one. And, and I'm not... Uh, there are very, very trained embalmers that travel the country that share their their expertise, their knowledge, their ideas, and and they are incredible. Uh, Fountain, um, I forget his, his name, but he is a seasoned, seasoned embalmer. So I want to let all the viewers know I can absolutely embalm a 90-year-old lady all day long, and she'll look so beautiful and lovely. I can embalm very well. When you get to these unique situations and circumstances, then we have people on our staff and team who are incredible with reconstruction, delicate moments such as you have open trauma wounds. So we do this pre-embalming analysis. If there's face trauma, lacerations, exposed uh, brain matter, the, the first point that we do is we want to we start uh, the best we can with with uh, making sure that there's no glass in them. If there's a vehicle accident, you're cleaning, you're constantly cleaning, washing. Um, and then from there, you're featuring, you're getting the mouth features as best as you possibly can before you inject that fluid, which is embalming fluid, right? And embalming, the whole purpose of it is so that you and your family can have as comfortable of an experience with your loved one, right? Before the burial takes place. It, it slows down the process of decomposition, it's been done for ever and ever and always, right? So that's what we do. And then post embalming, that's whenever you begin to treat the lacerations, the open wounds, closing things up, working on making sure that there's no leakage and, and so forth. And then after that is done, that's when you would call in the Jasons of our team who just love the restoration of the wax and the uh, matching of the skin tones and reconstructing eyebrows and uh, taking hair from the back of the, the head and literally painstakingly putting eyebrows back on. It's actually very, very beautiful. One of my most favorite stories, and this is why it's important, is this woman is at the, the hospice facility, passes away. Cancer took her nose. She was a beautiful woman and a year of terrible cancer on her face took her nose. This elegant woman was so insecure, mortified, wanted her casket to be closed, right? So we still prepared her because the family were going to have family time. In the state of Kentucky, you cannot have an open casket if public uh, and a loved one not be embalmed if public are present. So if you are going to have an open casket with public visitation, Kentucky law does require embalming. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, we always let people know because we're very much in this Bible belt and everybody's like, doesn't everybody embalm? And we have to say, no, not everyone embalms. No. If you want public visitation, then yes, embalming is required. So we embalm this loved one and I called Jason in and I said, I really want to give her her nose back. Can you give her her nose back? He said, absolutely. He gave her her nose back. The family walked in and I have goosebumps and they left her casket open. Wow. So that is what this is about. So Nathan, what other tools are you asking the family for like portraits of the person so that you can kind of use those as a template to reconstruct? We went to school for uh, literally an entire year on reconstruction. It's just, it's art, restorative art. So everyone's face is relatively proportional, 
right? So when I close the loved one's mouth, I have, you take your fingers like this and you put them on your eyebrows and your top of your forehead, from your eyebrows to your nose, from your nose to your chin. And it all measures, right? So we yeah. didn't have a photo of her, but we knew what she looked like if we based it on her proportions, right? Mm-hmm. So, and Jason was spot on. It's pretty interesting, really. We've done it with ears. Ears are the same. Um, and that's how we, we've learned how to, how to uh, I guess, shape or, or measure a face. But yes, photos are very important. We go as far, again, with social media. We'll search the loved one. We'll search for their family and see if we can find photos of them. Because isn't it awesome? Instead of having to ask the family, do you have a photo of mom? It's like, hey, I got a photo of mom. I found this. This is awesome. She's beautiful. Here. Now, do you guys have situations where, you know, there's some religions, and I think it's the Jewish religion, right? They don't believe in embalming. Um, so what do you do in that case? There can't be a viewing, or is that something that supersedes Kentucky law? Kentucky law, well, I, I believe, and I am not 100% as far as law is concerned, uh, able to quote it. I do know that uh, Jewish culture, they bathe their own loved ones. We do feature them, meaning close close their loved ones' mouths. And I believe if it's a ritual within the religion, then we can accommodate and allow for. A lot of uh, Jewish families will choose green burials, yes. which Kentucky in our areas do not have green wow. cemeteries. So the closest one is 45 minutes away in Indiana, closer to our Indiana locations. And I'm actually pushing for, for this. So Kentucky or cemeteries require of an outer burial container or vault. Just picture in your all's heads right now, a shoebox, but you take the lid off. So the casket would go into the shoebox or container and then the top goes over. That's a vault. Well, green burial is green because one, there's no embalming and two, the body in the wicker basket, for instance, is touching the dirt. So put the wicker basket on the ground, turn the vault over. Okay. So what happens when that person starts to decompose? Does, is that, is there potential for that person's, you know, fluids to, to leak out of that? Sure. But same as if they are uh, in a vault too, because water happens and, you know, you can't guarantee that a vault is, uh, you can say it's an air seal and it is, but you know, elements, I can't say what happens under the ground. You all know that science is an incredible thing. It is. It's amazing. So what would you say is kind of the most difficult part about your job? kids yeah I bet. it's carrying it just carrying it it's i just released a, an episode of the podcast and it's just my grandfather he said nathan he he's they had eight children he was the head of accounting for this massive company and he said at five o'clock i could leave it at the door and i pushed back because he didn't understand this profession and you can't leave this at the door that's hard with this job you know, five o'clock, the phone still rings at 525. Right. People still die. The hospice nurse still needs you. You all get it. It's, yeah. it's, Absolutely. it's a, it's a, it's a calling. It's, it's like, it's imprinted upon your heart. It's like, oh, sure. I'll sacrifice my, my well-being, my health, whether that's physical and or mental at times to take care of you because I care that much about you and what you're going through. But children, especially now that I'm a dad with four kids, you know, it's, um, it's uh, it's daunting, really. Could you give us an example of maybe um, maybe a case that impacted you the most in your career? There are there are a few. 
And one in particular is my phone rang at the funeral home. So I, I would vlog a lot um, during this time on, on YouTube and I'm filming throughout the funeral home and talking about what's going on. It sounds really mundane at the time and the phone rings. And I answer the phone and Clay is on the other line and he said that he and Sarah just lost their child and uh, during childbirth and wanted to come into the funeral home and finalize arrangements because it's really weighing on them, of course. I said, absolutely, Clay. Of course, ex extended my love and sympathies. And I said, I'll be waiting for you at the door. He said, we'll be there within 30 minutes. Okay. So obviously when you're filming vlogs such as that, you're not going to share that part of the video, but you keep it, keep it rolling. And there's a, there's a point to this story as to why I'm even saying the names, but about uh, 32 minutes pass. I'll never forget it. And Dave from the cemetery, which is uh, out by where they were coming from calls and we had another funeral that was going toward that cemetery and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, there's just been, been this terrible, terrible wreck. Uh, so your funeral procession may be delayed. And I'm on film and I say, I hope it wasn't Clay and Sarah. And it was Clay and Sarah coming to make funeral arrangements for their baby that died. And they too were killed in a, in a vehicle uh, accident. So, and it was caught on camera. So we bury three kids literally 25, 24 and a newborn. Uh, and I go on to film. Uh, it was, it was kind of like a video diary. Yeah. Right. Because that's what the podcast is for me. It's like, we have to talk about it. You have to talk about something to someone or right. you're going to go nuts. And somehow, some way this, after this is all said and done, I put the video as unlisted, but not private. Follow me. So overnight, yeah. it had like 3,000 views. All the family saw it. And I'm like, oh my God, but it wasn't. It was, they were so appreciative to see the heart behind the hurt. You know, this person who acted like they loved us and cared about us actually really did. And that was probably the most impactful for me because it shifted my brain because it allowed for me to show that I'm a human being and I'm not going to stand in the back of a chapel and just be stoic and be like, Oh, it's totally fine that Clay and Sarah and their baby just died. And I'm going to do a great job putting this incredible funeral together. No, I'm going to stand in the back of the chapel and I'm going to grieve with them because this sucks. Right. That was the most impactful for me. Uh, and it's just, um, I think it's, that's why I say it's, uh, uh, people, people, that's what this podcast that I do does. It's just exposing the hearts of the funeral directors who are caring for you. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, would you say that, you know, that your job has changed your views on life and death? Yes, it, it, it has. I've never seen someone die, which is really crazy. Um, I'm still scared of dying. A lot of people, uh, Christians, uh, believe, of course, in eternal life. And if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be scared because you know the re ultimate reward. But, you know, I have to be honest as a Christian. I really do uh, live my life to the best of my ability, but I'm scared to death of death. I am scared to death of dying. I don't want that pain. I, I see the aftermath, right? And I don't want to maybe have that. But um, it does open my eyes to the fact that life is fleeting and we do have this opportunity this huge opportunity to make just a massive impact upon people because this world needs to know we're longing for 
we're longing for real and we're longing for honesty and that's why we're so in the realm of the social world because we want to find things that people we can connect with right and i want people to know that you could be that no matter how big or small your circle is and everyone's where they'd be loved so that's my perpetual statement all the time is you are loved far more than you could ever know and i mean it i mean it with every fiber of my being and i also want that in return right so it's just this I want to I want to share my heart and I want people to share theirs with me. So yes, this has been very impactful for my life, this profession. Now, because you deal with death so often, you know, I get this question all the time. Have you planned your death? Kind of how you want do you want a funeral? Do you want, you know, cremation? Do you want have you planned that? Have you told your family? Yep. I want it to be the most elaborate thing in the entire world. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, um, I want a, I want a blue suit. I want a white shirt. I want a very nice solid tie. I want my hair to be on point and stick to the roof. Um, I'm on the fence about a wood casket or just some elaborate, ridiculous metal casket, but yes, I, I do. I want, I want, because I want, uh, I think we're all a little bit, a little bit vain and you get, you know, we have, you know, we have that about us. And I just, uh, I think that every life, including my own is worth to be worthy to be celebrated. So, and damn it, if I'm going to own a funeral homes and die to myself every day, then I'm going to make my staff work their butts off to make sure that I look incredible and have this awesome <laughs> celebration too. So one of the questions I have, and I had it asked for myself is when my son had the realization about what I do, um, you know, you said you had four kids, have any of them come to the realization of what you do and how'd you have that conversation with them? They're not asleep. They're not with Jesus. They, they are absolutely as a believer, they died. This person, this is the shell of this loved one. They're dead. This is the family are going to come and spend time with them before their body is buried. Everett, he is, we have Anderson who's seven. We have Everett who's seven. They're only 10 months apart. They're not twins. I know we're idiots. We have a three year, we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and they come to the funeral home. They have seen the chapels because there are caskets and their loved ones in the caskets. They are not scared. They're very reverent. I think kids are very intelligent people. And we duck down to them like ooey gooey, chee, chee, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't, you know, this is, this is someone's loved one. We're very reverent. You don't goof off while you're here. This is a holy place. And they are, uh, they're very aware of what we do. And when I take my suit off in the afternoon or if I put it back on, Everett said, who died? You know, Everett is, he's the one that's really in tune. Anderson, he's just like, oh, I see you a little bit. You know, Everett asks a lot of the questions, you know, who picked out those flowers? Why did they choose those colors? Oh, it looks like those colors match their tie. That's pretty cool that he was six at the time, the last time this happened, but it's cool that that kid's so in tune. Kids are, kids are really smart and they're really actually very kind. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. So what, what kind of options do people have uh, regarding the death of their loved one? You know, is it just simply burial versus cremation or is there more options available now? A lot of families in, I think, Florida and other areas where, you know, they're by a coast, you can have a loved one's urn be buried in, in a coral reef, I believe. There are companies that have done that. You can shoot into uh, outer space, your cremated remains, which is, which is crazy. One thing that we're really proud of here, we're very traditional here. Most everyone here will have a visitation with their body present, even if they choose cremation afterwards. That is a possibility. People ask that a lot. Can I have a visitation and people see me 
and still cremate afterwards. Yes. So we have this little lady who comes in, she's 72 at the time. And she says, and we get this all the time. She says, no one cares about me. She's not married. No one cares. Just cremate me and do with me what you want. And, and we say, hold on. We, we, we ask a lot of questions. Well, tell me a little bit about what, what do you do? You know, do you, what are your family like? Well, I have these four grandsons. I taught them how to skeet shoot, shoot clay pigeons, you know? And I'm like, awesome. And she's telling me their ages and come to find out they're the apple of her eye. And they, these gentlemen love their grandmother so much. One of them is actually a professional skeet shooter now. Okay. So instead of throw me in a ditch, I don't care anymore. It's now, Hey, she went and spent four shells, brought the shells back. And upon her memorial, we're going to present those four spent shells on the gun that she taught her grandchildren how to shoot. Here is a piece of your grandmother that you all may have forever. And we'll present that to them at the memorial service. So that is such a cool idea. That's very different. It's very unique. You have to be creative because the days of traditional, the days of we're going to have visitation for seven days straight because that's what Catholics do. We're going to have tradition, uh, traditional visitation for two days. Then we're going to march to the church. And then we're going to go to the cemetery. That's 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 done, especially with the pandemic. Everything's sometimes a single day. So how do we get creative? How do we turn this 80 years of life into this massive celebration, however you want it to look right? And uh, we're just pushing we're pushing the envelope there. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about employees. Is it difficult to find people? I get this asked a a lot of times for what we do as well. Is it difficult to find people that want to transport? Is it difficult to find, you know, morticians and balmers? How do you guys handle that? Licenses are hard to come by right now. It's not difficult to find people because we worked tirelessly on culture. Culture matters. It's real. It's going to happen. You know, it's, it's, it's there. So do you want to be a part of something that's incredible, meaning cultivating something that you're proud of, or do you want to just let it just be this messy, murky water, right? right. So we worked for three years straight on essentially cleaning house, not to sound terrible in the sense, but you're either a part of this movement, which is shifting, answering what you do, how you do it and why you do it. Now we say why we do it. We believe everybody's worthy to be loved and cared for. I don't care if you have a little or a lot. How do you do it? Well, we just provide these incredible facilities. We provide these incredible options to memorialize. What do you do? Oh, we're funeral directors, right? That creates what's called the movement. You're either on the ship, you're either on the bus, or you're not. So when you've created an awesome culture, you're uh, essentially going, people are going to see themselves out, the bad ones. Not bad as people, but not fitting in. And we're not for everyone. Everyone's not for us. It's totally fine. But no, people want to be a part of what we're doing because they know it's meaningful. It's impactful. And these people are coming and we're like, what do you love to do? What do you love to do? I love scheduling. Awesome. Well, we have 34 vehicles and they're constantly on the road and we need seven hearses in Indiana tomorrow. Make it happen. You know, I love makeup. Okay. Well, we have seven loved ones over there that need to have uh, their makeup done. I love arranging, you know. So we put people in their lane and they thrive. That's fantastic. So you guys have a funeral home in Kentucky and you have another one in Indiana. How much staff do you have right now? We have 10 funeral home locations. So we have 10 rooftops and then we have um, our monument company. And then we have our, we do our own grave digging too. We dig our own graves, set our own vaults and tents because if something's going to mess up, it's going to be on us. Right. Everyone's in their uniforms. Everyone's in their really nice press 
pants, it's, it's, it's gotta be perfect, right? We have 89 team members and we care for almost 1500 families a year. Wow. That's amazing. So where do you see the future, uh, for the company and the business? The future is bright. People are exhausted as we come on this tail end of the pandemic, the older funeral homeowners, they're exhausted. They have no succession plans. It's probably because of inflated numbers. They feel that they're going to get the most money for their business. So they're looking to sell, which is great opportunity for us as we begin the conversations of potentially buying them. Right? So our goal is to always be 20 miles or 20 minutes from our next location. I have no intention of slowing down. Um, I want to create opportunities for people to have meaningful celebrations. This profession has been scared of cremation for a long time. Your big cities, obviously, when you're in Kentucky, trends, they get to you 15, 20 years later. I mean, right. you know, Tupac in the 90s, <laughs> yeah. we listen to them, you know, it's like it takes a little bit. So Kentucky's over here being all, it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. So uh, we're on the cutting edge of that. Why don't we embrace it? Why don't we embrace cremation? Why don't we build the value in the fact that you can still have a ceremony and celebration? And um and still have cremation. People are scared of it because they think it's less money, you know, whatever, but uh, it's not going away. And uh, I think that if we embrace all these things and we implement the technology that we've started, the future is very bright for this profession. In our area, baby boomers make up over 55, 0%. So for the next 15 years, it's going to be nuts. Do you see you guys yeah, exactly. Do you see yourself expanding to other states or would you like to just kind of control those two? Someone asked me that the other day and I never had thought even in getting into Indiana, uh, but I will never say no. I am, I am, people always say and confuse my progression, progressiveness and forecasting with impulsiveness. Yeah. And I think it's fine because I'm just 10 steps ahead of, right? There are people that have asked me, Tennessee, there's a, there's a family firm in Ohio that are interested in talking to, to me, which would be awesome, but it would just have to make sense, right? That'd be really hard to, to operate from Kentucky, a home in Ohio. So we're open to it. Uh, just no one's doing our regional model like we are. No one's, no one's acquiring 20 and 30 minutes away. They're just, you know. So Nathan, how's that growth come? Is it is it something natural or are you doing acquisitions? How do you see your growth if you do decide to expand further out? A lot of our growth has happened because of acquisition, right? But a lot of our growth originally happened because of us changing the narrative within this the flagship. We call it the mothership, Haley McGinnis, right? We 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 cleaned house, we realized where we literally sucked, we were terrible. You know, just putting on the funeral, running through the motions. Uh, we we renovated. We renovated ourselves. That sounds stupid, but we did. We went and taught ourselves etiquette, words, words, words. Uh, we studied Disney, Disney Institute. They have be our guests. People pay bukus of money to go to Disney, not because they can touch and and take something back, but they take it back in here, right? Right. And uh, people will people will be loyal to you forever and always if you can tug on the heartstring. So we realized that and we're like, okay, well, we have something here. That was the model. And then every acquisition after we just literally put it in place and we just keep going. Right. So that's uh, that's our model. That's our vision. Acquisition is, is where a lot of our growth has come from. We're really proud of that. And we'll just continue to do it until either I drop dead, turn <laughs> 55 and want to 
hanging the hat or I don't know. They asked me what the number is. I'm not sure. It was 20. And then now I'm, we're, you know, we're halfway to 20 and it's like, oh, we'll do 50. How old are you now, Nathan? 36. Oh my God. You are young, young. So do, do you anticipate one or all of your kids being interested in this? And would you be upset if they weren't? Not at all. If they're not interested. Anderson, he doesn't care whatsoever about it. <laughs> I mean, he, he knows that we take care of people and that's important. Everett likes it, but it, we're not going to just, you're not, he go, here, here's a company yeah. run this, you know, because I think what do they say, like the first generation builds it, the second generation uh, maintains it and the third one screws it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we're not gonna, we're not gonna allow for that. There's too much, at, there's too much at stake. Too many people need to be taken care of, but you know, if they don't want it, that's fine. Yeah, that's great. So switching over, you've got a great podcast called You'll Be Tr- You'll Die Trying. Uh, you can find that on Spotify or, or Apple. What made you kind of start that? What gave you the idea? And, you know, what what do you see the concept going? It is very important for people, like you said earlier, to be educated. Educated people make educated dis- decisions. And the reason I started it was in October of 2020, I met with a, uh, an owner of Goodwin Seavers in Vincennes, Indiana. Now we had already had a season one of the podcast and he says, do you know why I'm selling to you? Because I listened to the podcast and I felt like I knew you. So it cuts out the cold call. It cuts out that potential awkward exchange on their end. I mean, I could talk to a damn wall, so it doesn't bother me, but that if I can meet somebody where they're at, that's awesome. And their car on their run, on their walk, and they feel endeared to me and they're like, Hey, their vision aligns with mine. Let's talk. That's, that's incredible. So that's why I started it. And then people are coming up to me. It's really hilarious. People are like, I love it. I love it because I'm so intrigued by death. I mean, I, we used to go to Buffalo wild wings. As you all know, yeah, of course you all do. I can't, you can't go and sit at the bar and have boneless wings without somebody coming up and be like, what's the grossest thing you've ever seen. It's just, <laughs> you get it. You yes, get it, right? Yes. It's, yeah. it's the conversation uh, at every table. You become yeah. the center of attention. Everybody wants to know who died, how many people died, what happened, what did it look like, you know, and you're left trying to tell the... You know, and I think people, people mean well about it, but I think people will always have a big curiosity around the unknown. Right. So this is why we get asked a lot of questions on kind of, you know, what does a dead person look like? Or, you know, uh, what happens after you die and the gases that blow them up? And, you know, I don't ever take it the wrong way as if, you know, they're just morbid about it. I just think people are generically really curious about things that they don't know or they've never seen before. So, again, taking that educational perspective on it is the reason that why we started our stuff on social media. And, you know, I believe that's a lot of reason for your success as well, because you guys did it differently. It's not like the 1940s and 50s anymore. It's not. And it's interesting because, and I brought this up in the last episode, and I probably will get flack for it, but the Kentucky State Board of Funeral Directors and Embalmers, there's this lady who is in Lexington. She dresses... Uh, like she's from the forties. It's really cool. She's very artsy. She works for a very prominent funeral home and she's on social media. Her Instagram is huge. Well, they all, but have suppressed her ability to share things. She's never been distasteful. She's never been 
at all unethical or disrespectful. And she put out a, a post saying, hey, the Kentucky board's kind of told me to, to stop. And I, and I want to push back on that. I don't think that that's, people don't want that. No. Why do you have to keep this secret in this veil? We're not doing anything wrong. It's actually beautiful. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Bible Belt is still big on censorship. And, uh, you know, they, they're trying to kind of suppress that. But I really think the, the population wants to hear about it. And they want to hear stories from people that they would never have normally run into in their life. And she's clearly providing that. It's, it's really amazing. I really hope that she'll continue. I mean, she's so creative. I wish I knew her, tw uh, her Instagram handle right now. I would, I would share it because I really like watching what she's doing. That's amazing. So where, where can everybody find you guys, especially if, you know, for the podcast or if they're in the Kentucky, Indiana area and they want to learn more about your services? Absolutely. And I really appreciate you asking that. Uh, I'm always sharing things on Instagram at Nathan Morris at you'll die trying podcast. We have uh, our website, morrisfamilyservices.com. And if you're in Kentucky and Indiana and you're in one of our locations area, come on by. The coffee's always hot and we want to have awesome, incredible, meaningful conversations. It's really fun to know that there's this uh, mail carrier who just retired, but on his mail route every day, he comes and has a cup of coffee and he takes a 30 minute nap on our couch. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that is That's so amazing. awesome. Yeah. And that matters. That yeah. matters. So yeah. we we are we want to meet you where you are. We think it's very important, and um, I'm appreciative of what you all are doing because you know the cameras come out when you all are there a lot of times, and you all are uh, having to glove up, gown up, suit up, all these things, and you all are trying to provide an experience as well in a delicate and dignified manner, and something that's very not pleasant. Yeah, right? it's yeah. And families need you all. They need you all right. because. When you go to those scenes and like, who helps with that? And they're pointing to this mo this space that otherwise has been where memories have been made. And now they have this. And isn't it awesome that someone like me can say, hey, call Spalding. Yeah. They'll take care of you. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So what you yeah. all are doing is meaningful too. So I appreciate well, you all. Nathan, I love what you're doing. You're taking a uh, scary business and you're making it very friendly and hospitable. So I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. You have a bright future in front of you, sir. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you for all that you all do. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Again, guys, thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Decon. We will put the contact information for Nathan Morris and his funeral home and his podcast below. And I highly recommend that you check it out. He is a game changer. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to Spalding Decon for having me. You can check out their podcast and actually follow them on Instagram because it's really, well, I don't want to say cool because it's not necessarily cool. What is cool, what is special is how these people show up and are incredible at what they do. They do their best. They do their best. They strive for perfection. If you dig ditches or if you clean up tragedy, do it with the best intentions. I appreciate you all. I appreciate you meeting me here week in, week out. The good, the bad, the ugly, the tragic, the stinky, the hopeful. You are loved far more than you could ever know. Visit Nathan Morris Music on TikTok, Nathan Morris on Insta, Nathan Morris Online on you know, the YouTube or go to NathanMorrisMusic.com and get you some of that, that swag. I would appreciate it so, so much. And until, until we meet again, because we will take care. <laughs>